Warning. The 1982 project contains explicit language. Did I stutter? 20th Century Fox would like to introduce you to Pee-wee and his pals. Tommy, Mickey, Tim, and the biggest man on campus. Why do they call you meat? Because it's so big? When they're not in class, they're into everything. Financially, culturally, it yes. came in like a... You can't have a conversation about 1982 without talking about Porky's. No, for as, right. for as, 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 as crass a movie as it is, you can talk about Gandhi and Sophie's Choice all you want. I know, <laughs> right? But you gotta also talk about Porky's. You have to account for Porky's. But what they'd like to get into most is a place called Porky's. I love my idea. Here, use this one. Hello, one and all, and welcome again to the 1982 Project. I'm Michael Schantz. And I'm Matt Aldrich, and this is the show that gets dirty with the movies of 1982. <laughs> we ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. What are you people? On dope? I got nowhere else to go! He's a replicant. I'm afraid! Today's episode, on a very special 1982 project, we talk about Whorehouses and brothels. <laughs> the brothel movies, oh we've my, been calling it. <laughs> oh, my God. Honestly, I can't believe that there are this many wide-release movies in one year about not just prostitution, but, but the brothel. Yes. So the three movies we're going to talk about today are Porky's, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, and Night Shift. Well, I'll put a little asterisk on this, Mike. Uh, Risky Business comes out... So- Comes I out was in, just it, gonna say, <laughs> it comes out there, in August '83. So in a not just that though, Matt. So is Doctor Detroit. Holy shit! Really? 1983, which is another movie about men, like just your normal guys becoming pimps. Okay, so within a 12 <laughs> to 18 month period, we have five big movies about the fun you can have in a brothel at a whorehouse. First of all, Porky's. Fifth highest grossing film of the year. Also, eight weeks at number one at the box office. Only outdone by E.T. 16 weeks. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This movie came out of nowhere. Remember, we're talking about 1982. Yes. So the number of amazing movies that came out and Porky's is just mopping the floor with them for eight straight weeks. Mike, where were you when you first realized that the director, writer and director of Porky's was also the writer and director of A Christmas Story? I, I mean, I think I knew that early on. I found out in my adulthood and I, uh, a friend of mine really? told me and I was like, you, you're you not, that's tr- untrue. I just felt like I was being lied right, to. Yeah. <laughs> I had well, to fact not, check my not, friend. Not just that, but he was holding a Christmas story over the studio. They didn't want to make a Christmas story. And the only reason they agreed to was that he agreed to do Porky's 2 the next day. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. I didn't know that part of the That's story. That's how a Christmas story got made. So when you're because talking about of Porky's. Yeah, so when you're talking <laughs> about the legacy of this movie, you know, Bob Clark, the director, writer and director of Porky's, he has I mean he actually has a really fascinating career where Black Christmas? Black Christmas, Porky's and Christmas Story. Rhinestone? Yeah. <laughs> like like he is all over the map, but like Black Christmas is considered by many it's like sort of a cult a classic film. yeah it's, yeah it has become a cult classic in the slasher genre black christmas right and, so, and i mean it's been remade i think twice in the last 20 years right you have this one writer director who created three seminal movies in three completely different genres yeah and not a lot of people can claim that and i i don't think bob clark gets the shine that he deserves well, and it's one of my notes for Porky's because Porky's is Porky's, but I see competent filmmaking within it. Exactly. He, yeah. He, it's it's and and I I would say this for Night Shift also, and we'll get there. Yeah. Where there is here's what happens when talented people tackle dumb ideas. Right. <laughs> 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 and it's like it's this weird like it's this weird thing of like wow this is a really stupid movie but it's made so well that I don't yeah. I can't I can't reconcile the two. It's hard to reconcile like, exactly. It's like tension. Um, so that's so that's part of the pedigree for Porky's for for the best little whorehouse in Texas. Uh, this was the movie that dethroned E.T. as number one at the box office. This movie was a right. top ten. This movie got an Oscar nomination for Charles Durning for Best Supporting Actor, which blows my it mind did. because he didn't get nominated for Tootsie, which uh-huh. I think was a which, far better performance far. From Dur- for, yeah. for Durning. Far more interesting. Interesting, <sighs> nuanced. Yes. Yet, everything about yet that. He, he does essentially a cameo. In this in this whorehouse movie, and he, and he gets the Oscar nomination. There was he's also got one. He's got one great song. He's got a song and a scene, and then he just yeah. pieces out. Now, Night Shift. I'm going to put an asterisk next to this. Ron Howard's first movie. Technically, it was his second movie. Um, his first movie. Yes, his, you're right about that. His first movie was a, a, a Roger Corman. Roger flick Corman called Grand Theft Auto. But this was his first big movie, and it was Michael Keaton's first uh, major role. Major we all, role. We also have. Um, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner in there. We got <laughs> Shannon Doherty. Uh, a young yes. Shannon Doherty is like a, bra- a little brownie selling cookies. We also had some Golden Globe uh, love for Henry Winkler. Uh, there was a nomination for Best Actor. I did not know this, but the song That's What Friends Are For was written for this movie. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Burt Bacharach. Uh, Burt Bacharach, yeah. He wrote this. He wrote That's What I Friends mean, Are I For. I mean, I remember the song... I, the, I, but it, I didn't know that it was specifically written for the movie. It was written for this movie. It was the closing credit song. Rod Stewart recorded it. Now, the, I think Dionne Warwick made the more famous recording a few years later. Yeah, that's what friends are for. You can thank Night Shift. <laughs> wow. <laughs> give me some of your. Uh, give me some of your your uh, your pedigree. What do you, what what are, what are some of the numbers you got? Porky's on Rotten Tomatoes, thirty five percent. Then we go to Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. We climb up to 45%. And then we have Night Shift, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which is a complete inversion of how much money they made. Right, exactly. Complete inversion. So, and that that's the thing I want to talk about, because that's the thing I find most fascinating. Because the movie that made the least amount of money 
I think is the movie that has culturally maybe the most staying power. I think it's the movie that holds up the best. I, I or the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The movie that holds up the best. It, it the, the one the that best. people will remember liking. Right. Let's uh, let's 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 get to it. Let's get to it then. Let's get to it. Okay, Mike. This should not <laughs> surprise you. Nor should it surprise the listeners of our show, but I saw this movie in the theaters in How did I know? <laughs> vivid, vivid memory of seeing this movie in the theaters with my dad. Probably also. Oh, I would have hated you so much. Oh, and then, yeah, <laughs> I that was so jealous. I and then I proceeded to tell everybody what was in it. Of course, all, all of my friends and the neighborhood. You were that guy. I was that kid. I was the uh, yeah. I was the you know first ones free. That was me. Um, I had to wait. I had to wait. I saw this in the theaters, and I remember, I remember laughing at the hijinks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I remember the, the thing that I remember the most about this movie was my father laughing. I remember him laughing more than I remember the movie. I, I've seen this movie, you know, over the years. I'm starting to feel a little uncomfortable. You should. So I remember him laughing. And in the scene that um, he laughed the hardest at was the scene in the principal's office where uh, Beulah Ballbricker, Coach Ballbricker, yes. is is suggesting that they um, have a, a police lineup to find the penis with a mole on it. And right. the male coaches are in the background of the scene hysterically laughing. And I think that scene still works. That scene is still fucking funny. It, it's still funny. It's and in, more than anything, it's just great acting because making laughing like that honest and real is hard to do. I think it is, and they're they're killing it. And and this is where I, we were talking about a, a, a stupid idea being um, executed right. with with skill. Bob Clark. That, that Bob shot Clark, at the yeah. end. Well, on just, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Yeah, I mean that with the, the smirk. Bob Clark has this real gift for knowing just when to put a camera on sticks and don't touch it. And it's and it is the funniest scene in the movie, which it is. is which is. This is more about the rest of the movie than maybe this scene. <laughs> right. But it is the funniest scene in the movie. It is also. Um, it was also the most deeply problematic scene for me. Mm-hmm. In watching it as an adult now, I found myself empathizing with and rooting for Beulah Ballbricker more than anyone else in this movie. She was the only person <laughs> who made any sense. She was the only person who saw all of this behavior and said, this cannot go on. This is wrong. <laughs> yes. Like, she is so sane in this movie, but... As a kid watching this movie, and certainly the intention of the she's the evil enemy. She is. She is the yes. They call her Kong. You know, they she is the the destroyer of all things fun. It reminds me of that Simpsons episode when Homer goes back to college and has this unwarranted hatred of the dean. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> because of all the movies because, that he's watched. Yeah, just because of all the movies, you know? And this movie is that example of just hating her 
because the movie says we have to hate her and should hate her. And clearly, it hit a nerve. People felt like they had to go see this movie. Yeah. $105 million. I adjusted for inflation. Oh. It's if adjusted for inflation, it's nearly three hundred million dollars right. in the U.S. alone for a movie Mine that is, looked like it cost a dollar. On a budget of two point five million dollars, I have a note here. By the way, this was the highest-grossing movie in Canada for twenty-four years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Canada! I want to get your read on everything surrounding sex in this movie. The lack of agency for women is all pretty distasteful. 100%. But I think it's amazing that this movie has that big of a blind spot, but then is able to, I would argue, kind of deftly tackle subjects like racism and bigotry. I get, like, I I, I hear you. Um and certainly... The... Because that was my takeaway. I remember that being my takeaway when I was a kid. Okay. And especially the, that one character who's beaten up by his dad and Tommy. is full. You yeah. could see that this is the the root cause of all his anger. This is learned behavior. And he grows throughout the movie. Yeah, he, he is the only character that, in fact, has an arc. He is the only arc. character yeah. that has an arc. <laughs> but his arc is so, like, after school specially. And, and it's given, you know, probably a sum total of six minutes of screen time, you know, spread out over the mm-hmm. course of an hour and a half. But the movie is not that. It's like, the, right. the, 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 at the very least, that feels like the side of vegetables to um, to the main meal, which is just okay. sexy, sex, sexy yeah. shenanigans. It still, it still stands out to me, for me. I, I think it's interesting that you have lines like, look, you know, he's our buddy, and we don't like everything he does, but he's still our buddy. I think that's interesting right now in the face of cancel culture and a a, a culture that wants to tear people apart just to feel the morally, you know, to just to be uh, uh, on your moral high horse. Mm. People are more complicated than that. I I can't give this movie a pass for all the other shit, but, but that to me was interesting on this, on this viewing of it that, even these guys who are doing terrible shit throughout the whole time could recognize other terrible behavior for what it was and not like it, but not give up their friend because of it. Yeah, I, I you know, I, no, I and I, I agree with you. I think that that is that is there and it goes to presenting a. But like you said, it's like of, the veg, it is the, the side of vegetables. The side of vegetables. And it. it goes to presenting this idea of what brotherhood is. I don't yeah. know if that's, I don't know if it's an idea I, I agree with necessarily. The, the, the women mm-hmm. in this movie are non, non-existent. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, to call them cardboard Marginalized cutouts. to an extent that it's, yeah. that's the hardest thing to watch in this movie. It, there, are no fem- there are no female characters. We'll just put it that right. way. There are a lot of women in the movie, but there are, no, there are no characters. There are no female characters. Kim Cattrall has a sock stuffed in her mouth it's, so he can finish. Yeah, it's... It's, it's awful. It, what's more awful to me, even watching this now, is like, I'm watching that. I know that I watched it as a kid. 
I know that I was not alone in watching it as a kid, that it was the fifth highest grossing movie of the year. So you you can say like all of these awful things happened and isn't that terrible and it's a shame. But then like this was the fifth highest grossing film of the year. (laughs) And that's the thing is like it says something about America because what was true and present then I think is true and present today. This movie for me is is particularly 1982 in another way, which is it is yet another movie where we are revisiting America pre-Kennedy assassination. Uh, This is the soapbox I keep getting on, this nostalgia, this uh, boomer nostalgia for simpler times. You know, the the movie starts with a a radio talking about how wonderful America is now that Eisenhower is president. You know, like that's what's playing in the background. And as you mentioned, Eisenhower makes another uh, cameo appearance in, in the principal's office. What's what's kind of also amazing is that this movie essentially has the same plot as Christmas Story, which is like a little boy wakes up in bed and he's got one dream and he spends right. the entire movie trying to satisfy that dream. It's just in this movie, his dream is to have sex for the first time. And that's all and Pee that, Wee wants. Yes. That's his BB gun. and Because one of my notes is... The BB gun for this movie is getting laid yes. literally at any cost. At any cost. And the, oh boy, like the, 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 the pranks and shenanigans are so ornate and, and so just patently offensive that they're, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch the scene where they go out into the Everglades to visit the, the, the woman who's going to... Cherry like, forever. Yeah, it's like... like they're getting, This is a movie that says, what if all of our heroes agree to go, like, essentially have a gangbang with a woman that they've never met in the Everglades? Wouldn't that right. be fun? And that's where right, I, I kind exactly. of... Like, like, no, guys, like, there's nobody in that group of friends that says... This, what are we doing? What are we doing? This is horrifying. <laughs> this is this yes. this is the stuff of nightmares. We're all just sitting on a bench, naked, next to each other, waiting for our turn. Waiting. I for think t- I'll go home. <laughs> None of them want to go home. Is the response? The problem with this movie is that Bob Clark is a good filmmaker. The yes. problem with this movie is that he he has what not a lot of directors have, which is comic timing. He knows right. how to film a joke. And so it's this thing of like, this is a horrifying scene filmed really well. And I, and, and I just want to scream when I'm watching and this And it movie. gives the impression that what's actually happening is actually funny. Yeah, you, you almost start to believe the movie. And I think that's one of the things the movie has going for it, too, is that this movie is chopped full of actors, for the most part, we don't know at all and have never seen before and really since right with the with the exception of kim cattrall but there i don't think there's a bad actor in the group i don't think i don't think there is either they're good so when you have all these young actors able to hit the mark in the way this movie needs and i i have to assume part of that has to be bob clark as well even in watching it again i found myself laughing in parts where i went uh, and then I would stop and think, I don't, what, how did I just laugh? Why? <laughs> this, the, the logic of this movie, it's sort of a child logic, right? Mm-hmm. It's a logic that is not dissimilar to the logic in Christmas Story. 
which which yeah. essentially follows a, a group of male friends as from episode to episode as the, as the central one schemes to get a BB gun, right? Yeah. And here we have the same thing. It's a group of male friends, episode to episode. Sort of the child logic is that once I have sex, everything will be great. And that's like the child logic of right. the BB gun. Yeah, Once I have exactly. the BB gun, everything will be great. What's great about Christmas Story is he gets the BB gun, and the first thing he does is he shoots his eye out. Shoot his eye out. In, yeah. the, in this movie, there is, he just, Pee, it, the, over credits, Pee Wee, you know, loses his virginity, and it's great. Yells like Tarzan. And it's great. And that's the end. He doesn't shoot his own eye out. And you would sort of want him to shoot his eye out at the end, but he doesn't. You know, I when we were first kind of culling through all of these movies, I was tempted to put Porky's into a coming of age, into our coming of age basket. Uh-huh. But then upon watching it, I was like, none of these guys came of age. No. <laughs> they start as children and they end as children. They end as children. Yeah, exactly. It sort of lays bare the things that have been kind of, I think, sublimated or encoded over the years. Um, it is, it's, yeah, it's out loud. It's, this movie says the quiet parts out loud. All right, let's move on. (laughs) The 1982 Project will be back after these messages. Mmm, chocolate. Mmm, peanut butter. You put your chocolate on my peanut butter. Peanut butter on my chocolate. What? Delicious. Two great tastes that taste great together. Reese's peanut butter cups. Real milk chocolate, delicious peanut butter. Reese's peanut butter cups. Texas has a whorehouse in it. Lord have mercy on our souls. Texas has a whorehouse in it. Lord have mercy on our souls. I'll expose the facts, although it kills me. All right, Matt, let's talk. the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Again, of course, a 1982 movie released July 23rd. You're always the man with the plan on uh, release dates. What was released around this movie? Do you know? Well, I can tell you what was released next week. Night uh-huh. Shift. <laughs> this was a one-two punch. Uh, and yeah. like I was saying in the intro, this was the movie, or one of us said in the intro, this was the movie that dethroned E.T. at the box office. After E.T. Yeah. had just had a stranglehold on the summer, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas came on and said, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> and Whilst I shoot my gun in the sky. Right? What yeah. is this movie about, man? This movie is an Escher painting. I, <laughs> I don't know who this is for. I don't know who. I don't know who made it, where they came from, or where they went next. This movie... I'm amazed. I'm amazed that this is like a, a Tony Award winning Broadway play. Um, I think the play from my from my poking around seems the play was pretty different than the movie. Yeah, I mean the writer of it did not like this movie. Like hated it and hated Burt Reynolds and hated Dolly Parton. The 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 play seemed to be about the women of the Chicken Ranch. Yeah. The movie and they're is not about, together in the play, right? The movie is about the relationship between Mona and Ed Earl. And I would argue that really at the core of this movie, what it's about is Ed Earl growing up enough to be able to say the words "I love you." Yes, and we should be together. Y- yes, and 
their opening number together is a, a sneaking around song called sneaking around and so these are two people who cannot show the world that they love each other in the end guess what they're not sneaking around anymore they're right. married they they're out in the open and and fully embracing each other so yes i think the the love story between these two is it's fine like it's not i don't think it's breaking any uh new ground i think it's here. the most successful thing in the movie yeah and I also think that there are moments where they're really good together. But I think, again, to contextualize this, I think Burt Reynolds is pretty goddamn famous at this point. Yeah. And not only pretty goddamn famous. He's probably famous, still in his, like, number one at the box office. Yeah. yeah, like he was, like, so that so that him getting involved in this movie sort of mandated that the movie become about him. And yeah, about right. and about his relationship with uh, with Mona, with Dolly Parton, and made mm-hmm. that the sort of the love story at the center of it. Because again, the play, which seemed to be about uh, the women of the of the of the chicken ranch, right? Uh, but you get Burt Reynolds, and suddenly it has to be Burt Reynolds. And then also contextualize it like it's not just Burt Reynolds; it's Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise. And I was the, gonna say, the, right. you know, we had already we had had a couple cannonball because runs at this point. We had cannonball run. Stroker right. Ace had been somewhere around in here, like the, the end. The I, end. I, you know. Yes. Yeah. So we have a, a pre-existing comic duo coming in to a movie, and the movie being sort of reshaped around them. Again, financially, huge hit. Sixty-nine point seven million in the USA and the world against, but but a bigger budget, a thirty-five million dollar budget. You know, for me though, the the best moments of this movie are the songs that were in the musical. I think the new okay. songs, like "Sneaking Around" and how they sort of shoehorn in a, a version of "I Will Always Love You." I didn't love those moments. The the other numbers, like "Little Pissant Country Place." The, open, right. the opening number. I love yeah. that number. Hard Candy Christmas, I think is really... Hard Candy Christmas, I was going to say. I think I think it's really sweet. But I also love Dom DeLuise. Texas oh, has a horror Yeah, Texas has a horror Another great... And if I, if I was going to nominate somebody from this movie, it'd probably be Dom DeLuise oh, instead yeah. of Charles Durning. Oh, sure. He, he was, he's so funny. He's, he's so funny, and he knows how to be big and sort of... Um, he knows how to be big, but... But honest to the character, without being sort of clownish, yeah. without right, exactly, he, without he, winking to the camera at all. And you, and you need actors like that for a musical. I think Burt Reynolds. I think it's. I think he was fighting above his weight on this one. I gotta be honest. Like, yeah, just he looked really uncomfortable. Dolly Parton looked mm-hmm. right at home. She, right. she, I feel like she can she can walk on water, and she Dolly Parton is Dolly Parton. She is infinitely charming. She's she completely owns this movie. Dom DeLuise co-owns this but movie. But honestly, I think all three of them are pretty charming in this movie. Even though his character is, of course, has plenty of moments of not being charming at all. Um, I don't think Burt Reynolds is bad in the movie. I, I don't think his performance is belongs in a musical. I think I think everybody else... Okay, yeah. I you're right, yeah. Everybody else is in a musical, and he's just he's doing a, a movie. He's just yeah. doing Burt Reynolds' movie... It, it, but again, let me ask you this, because this is, I, I don't, this is the question I can't answer. Who was this movie for? Was this general audiences? Was this niche? Was this Dolly Parton fans? Was this musical fans? 
it made so much money. Your question is, who is this movie for? And I think my answer would be for 1982. <laughs> <laughs> so just people who just like want to go out and have a good time and not think about consequences and cause but I, lots and of I, I uh, don't property think it's, damage. I don't and... think, yeah. I just, I don't think it's all one thing. Because you said, you, you asked... Who is this movie for? Is this for Dolly Parton fans? I would say yes. Is this for musical fans? I would also say yes. Is this for fans of Burt Reynolds and especially Burt Reynolds with Dom DeLuise too? I would say yes. I think it's a combination of all of those things because you already had Smokey and the Bandit too. You know, you've already had, like they, you know, you've already had Cannonball Run. They're almost a comedy duo at this point. Those two men. Yeah, absolutely. And when they're together, it's usually gold. Like they are great together. And so I think it's a bit of all of that. Yeah, what you're saying I think is that they they're they're spreading their bets on this movie. Yeah. And how they produced it. Did you see this movie in the theater? No. No. Okay. Neither. Yeah, no. My my But my I remember dad like taking us to I remember musical. watching this movie with my mom and dad. Um and it was like a family affair watching Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> That's crazy. Right? That's crazy talk. Because I would have been, by then, I would have been, by the time I actually saw it, I was probably 11. I don't, know, I don't know if I had ever seen it all the way through until this project. Oh, um, really? Yeah, I think, I think... I watched this movie a lot. Oh, I, wow, I've, really? You would have, yeah. you have strong memories of this one. Yeah, this yeah was... I have strong memories of this movie. I remember going on... Uh, man, I don't. I can't remember how long we were gone, but like a month-long Vanagon ride all over California with my two brothers and my mom. My dad had to stay home and work, and my mom was a speech pathologist, but she worked at schools, and so we were like, we got in the van again. We're going all over California, mm-hmm. you know. We went to a family friend's house somewhere up in Fresno or near there, and I remember this movie came on TV. And my mom said, oh, Best Little Whorehouse. Let's watch that. We love that movie. <laughs> and we watched it again. Oh, my you know? God. Yeah. So that's what I was saying. Like the, And especially, I mean, when you see it on television, you're not going to see the boobs or anything. But, uh, Well, it, it isn't that interesting, though. And the sex stuff wasn't a focus. Yeah, that, that, but that's, what I'm, that's kind of what I'm, what's, what's bugging me about all three of these movies is the is – this assumption that they have going to a brothel and paying for sex is not only fun and like a a fun thing to do and maybe even do as a family, but, (laughs) but it's a tradition, a rite of passage. Yeah. You're right. This movie, the the, the central set piece of this movie is the Texas A&M. That's one of my notes. I can't believe these two colleges allowed this right. to be part of the plot. So the Aggies and the Longhorns have their have their annual Thanksgiving Day uh, game, game. Right. and per the plot, the winning team is rewarded. Gets to go have sex. Is rewarded with a free night at the chicken ranch. We're gonna walk and stomp and we'll it up tonight. Little gals won't ever, never It's the most homoerotic uh, uh, scene right. that I've seen uh, since Spartacus, maybe. It's, 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 uh... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 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 
better than a football game. And, and as it turns out, like there was a tradition after this movie, there was like a, a, a long running drag show that would the, the that they would perform this movie in drag. And this I, I, I suspect I don't know, but I suspect this movie has a bit of a cult following um, in right. in the gay community. And boy, this this scene uh, that is central to the plot of the movie uh, goes a long way to um, to making me think that. This is where I get into like, wow, did was were there a lot of I don't like were there a lot of brothels and I just didn't know about it like what like right, was yeah. this a thing like w- really was this that's a the other thing? thing is I don't I, well one this is based on a true story yes yes this so is, so this was a thing no and obviously so obviously prostitution is a thing like I'm not, I'm not right I'm not stupid but what you're saying is like. Because, you know, Porky's takes place in Florida. This takes place in Texas. Yeah. So does every state have, like, a local brothel that the boys can just go to? And not just just go to, but are sort of expected to go to, brought to yeah, by their right. fathers, essentially. Yeah, this is what, right. That's what's sort of happening in this scene of, like, this is a rite of passage. But so this is one of the things that bothers me quite a bit about all three of these movies there is a point in Best Little Whorehouse in Texas when newspaper, or not newspaper, but news reporters, camera television reporters, yeah. are interviewing people in the town. Yes. And one man at one point says, hey, like, we all know men have to have it. And if the chicken ranch isn't there, what are they going to do? They're going to rape. Right. I. That's like a refrain in all three of these movies, that men have to have sex, and if they don't, they will get violent. And it makes me sick to my stomach. But the other thing that I keep thinking about is that I don't in any way want to blame the movies for this, like that these movies are responsible for it. Oftentimes, with the violence we're dealing with in our country right now, you hear about some young person who has been alone and by themselves and feels ostracized by that because they can't get laid. Mm-hmm. And their response is to then get an AR-15 get violent, and yeah. shoot something right. and be violent. I hate that that refrain is in all three of these movies, but I don't blame the movies for it. No, I, I, like, don't, I don't think they invented it. Um, right. But, I, but like you said, like they don't challenge it either. They just sort of take that as the, right. as the given. And, um, yeah. and they and, and they move on and they go have and kind their fun. Of mind, and it's mind for comedy. It's like for comedic sake. All three of these movies are just like, yeah. we're going to take for granted, for given that, um, that men by and large uh, go see prostitutes. And then, and we'll build our comedy from that. Right. And uh, maybe I'm just naive. <laughs> I'm just like, like, I know, right? Do, like, like, is... Did I not get the memo? Like, is not like, is this actually happening? How like, many men are actually paying for sex? Right. Right. And 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 uh, yeah. So I feel like, oh God, I feel like a, I feel like a, a, a child watching these movies in in a lot of ways because I'm like I, I don't get the premise for the joke. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I just don't get the premise, but but okay, I'll go with you and 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 we'll go have our fun. Probably try to swim it, and he does. Ball comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. 
Rodgers along the sideline. Another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield. They tried to do a couple of... The ball is still loose as they get it to Rodgers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. Oh, the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going into the end zone. Will it count? The Bears have scored, but the bands are out on the field. There were flags all over the place. Wait and see what happens. We don't know who won the game. Everybody's milling around on the field. The Bears! The Bears have won! The Bears have won! Oh my God! The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football, California! Down on the corner, they call you Mr. Flash. They got some ladies who never see the Again, no surprise, saw this in the theaters, <laughs> which would make uh, two what are, two. What are we talking movies. about? I'm like eight years old, right? I'm eight, nine years old. Wow. Uh, seeing, seeing Porky's and Night Shift within a three-month period. Uh, this one came out July 30th. Like I said, it was the week after um, Best Little Whorehouse. Ron Howard's first movie, ostensibly his first movie. Yeah, Michael Keaton's first movie role, Henry Winkler, um, playing a leading role that is completely against type. He had right. been really just known as the Fonz at this point. So playing, he's still of, filming Fonz. Oh, they're while still filming this movie. Okay, so there you go. Like, like th- he would film Happy Days on Thursdays and Fridays, and this movie Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Oh my God, hats off to him. Um, yeah, and this this movie more than the other two, for me is like what happens when really talented people tackle a stupid idea <laughs> yeah because like you said at the beginning i think this movie holds up i think it does too as strangely um i wanted this movie to feel dated and not be good anymore why I why wa- did you I'm, not want oh, it to be good it's, it's, uh, this with all these fucking movies man like i i i i, I wish these weren't the movies of my childhood but don't you think it's interesting that we think this movie has the most staying power and this is also the movie that has the most agency for its female characters who are I think prostitutes that, i think that goes a long way to making the movie feel like real right. and balanced and emotionally grounded yeah yeah uh th- right this is the as we said porky's has women in it but no female characters mm-hmm. best little whorehouse in texas has women in it and has one female character Right, right. Now we get to Night Shift and it has women in it, and but they're interesting. You know, yeah. they're, they're types, they're comedic types. You have the hooker with the heart of gold in Shelley Long. You Shelley have, Long, you have the annoying girlfriend. You, you have the sort of the frigid, annoying girlfriend. You have the nagging mother-in-law. You've got, mm-hmm. the, those are sort of, those are the colors on the palette for better or for worse, probably for worse. For 1982. For 1980, right. but, but, but. The movie spends time and does like good scene work, and the acting is good, and they find yeah. they find really tender moments between Shelley when Long I watch, and, and Henry Winkler that I was because I've wa- I watched this movie sometime between six months and a year ago as well, mm-hmm. and then watched it a couple days ago, 
And every time I watch this movie, the one thing I'm struck by more than anything is how good an actor Michael Keaton is in his first movie. Out of the gate, star. Like, yeah. you want to watch like uh, you want to watch somebody become a star. <laughs> right. Watch this movie. Because it's, it's like next year, Mr. Mom. He's a leading man. She, yes. And, After and, this. And a comic leading man, and which is, yeah. I think, that much harder to do as, as an well, actor. Well, and that's the thing, because this performance is so broad. Yes. When he's being hilarious. But he, like you just said, this movie has character development and tender moments, and a lot of them come from him. It's like a revelation when I watch him. Yeah. The character is great. His performance is great. This, Like I said, this is a very dumb idea. Also based on a true story, though, I think the producer read a New York Times article about two guys running a brothel out of a mor- mortuary or morgue. Uh, okay, I guess so. so uh, maybe truth is stranger than fiction. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll tip my maybe. hat. I'm going to go to Ron Howard on this, but I'm also going to go to Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel. Yeah. So Gantz and Mandel. For and those, if you know those names. If you know the names, you know the names. But if you don't, right. um, this is their, they were a writing team. They kind of came up through uh, television. They actually did write for Happy Days at one point. Right. Um, but then this was their first feature together. And then they would go on to write such like 80s and 90s classics, comedy classics as, as Splash. Parenthood, sure. City, Slickers, City Slickers, League of yeah. Their Own, like th- these, th- the the writers on on this movie. This was their first movie, first of many movies together. And boy, like you don't, there's not a lot of writing teams that have the batting average that, uh, that right. That I, I was just gonna say right. Do. So so hats off to them again. And, and also, this is the first partnership of Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. Yeah. And so y- you have this. Uh, really amazing collection of talent at the dawns of their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, or their, their reintroductions. I mean, Ron Howard, obviously Opie, Richie Cunningham, mm-hmm. he's coming out with his first film about a brothel. It's like every, like, so right. it's like, and Shelley Long, who, who is, you know, Diane Chambers on Cheers is, is playing, uh, is playing a prostitute. So like, even the faces that we know. Yeah, because Cheers starts the same year this comes out. Even the faces we know are coming out completely against type. Henry Winkler, mm-hmm. Shelley Long, Ron Howard, completely against type. Michael Keaton out of nowhere, uh, 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 Ganson Mendel, uh, Brian Grazer starting what would what would sort of mushroom into huge careers. So this movie has a, a gravity to it um, that yeah. to me just, it, it is the same gravity that we see throughout the year in all of these films. Um, so while it didn't make a ton of money on the year, uh, it was profitable. And, and but but it, I feel like this movie. I, yeah, I also remember it like despite this limited amount of money that it garnered, I remember this movie being kind of a talked about movie of, oh, like if you haven't seen it, you've got to watch it. It's so funny. I, I, I that doesn't surprise me at all. It has yeah. that feel to it, which is. But it's a, the same. It's it, it's it, it's almost the same exact story as Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. He has to find the courage to tell her he loves her. <laughs> is that is that is that sort of the the challenge of 
of of these Men are movies so repressed that they can't say <laughs> that they the have words, to like that the, I love you that the ultimate um, the ultimate yeah. sign of growth is being able to say I love you to the woman uh, to, to the that prostitute you're having sex with <laughs> yeah right <laughs> that's nice that's the 80s of it I also yeah. love I also love the 80s there's a sort of a, there's a Reagan's America aspect to this movie that the others two I don't think had other than the nostalgia, right. like no. like the basic premise of this movie is that um, uh, Chuck, like his big idea is uh, he's going to not just become a pimp the way that like a Doctor Detroit becomes a pimp, yeah. but uh, you know for the for the flash and for the for the fun and the excitement and the and the the clothes yeah and the clothes, <laughs> but he becomes a. Um, he becomes a pimp because he sees a business opportunity. He sees an opportunity to incorporate and to enroll right. prostitutes in a profit sharing plan. Yes. <laughs> Which is like. And to buy into burger franchises. Right. Like, how more 1980s can you get? <laughs> to be like, right. here, we're going to talk about retirement. You know, and we're not going to depend on Social Security. We're going to privatize this I can take the money you make and make it into more money. Yeah. It's like that, that was a line of dialogue. I know. It's like that was such very, the, very Ronald Reagan. It was very Reagan's America. It's very because um, the kids from Angel Beach, they're just doing terrible shit. Horrible. <laughs> so they're making terrible choices. Ed Earl is a good man who makes some terrible choices. Henry Winkler as Chuck is a really good man for the most part, other than getting involved in prostitution, which is the conceit of the film. <laughs> Nothing but good choices. He's, tr- he's always yeah. thinking of other people. He's always trying to help others. He wants the women to be safe. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so this movie's far more progressive than the other two, and I think that's why it holds up better than the other two as well. It definitely doesn't make me cringe when I watch it, the way that the other movies make yeah. me cringe, especially Porky's. You know, there's a there's a, a big scene in the middle, sort of a big set piece in the middle of a frat party that that um, happens. Yeah. where we see Kevin Costner makes his appearance. This is where Kevin Costner um, and uh, and Ron Howard's brother. Um, yes, yeah, as always, as always from the from beginning. From the beginning, Clint Howard is there in a Ron Howard film. <laughs> <laughs> they never they're never too far away from each other. Yeah, and that that is the moment for me. That that's the moment when the movie gets most. Animal Housey, most Porky's, yeah. most just sort of celebrating this this weird rite of passage that you and I are looking at. It's sort of like as yeah, it's a it's Clint Howard that actually comes out of a drawer meant for a dead body and says, "So that's what it's like." Right. He has the Pee Wee moment in that yeah. in, in the in the in the right. morgue, um, and he looks like um, uh, Dan Monahan. Like like the the, mm-hmm. the two actors kind of have the same sort of big head, red hair, like they, they have the same thing going on, right? Right. That is the closest it gets to cringy, and that's sort of an emotional low point. But again, to the movie's credit, Henry Winkler comes in and says, this Stop is so it. wrong. Like, like he right. kind of says Get what's on out. your mind, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and and so I, you forgive it, and you, and, you, and you move on, and you watch the rest of this movie. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to put this in the box of movies that didn't age well. Mm-hmm. I think I want to put all of these. I think it's interesting in though that, that you don't came age. in with that agenda. <laughs> I absolutely did, and this is this is yeah. part of this project is is realizing that I am that I do have this agenda of like I I want to take all of these movies and I want to 
I want to um, bury them. I want, I want, I think I'm well, a certain, because like, I want this to, to be 19... a funeral in a, in a certain yeah, way. Like, I, right. I want this to be because a funeral. I think we're getting to the 1982 of it all because this, we, what we discovered just looking at the number of movies and the number of directors and the number of actors that either came out, directed, or started in 1982. And because so many of these movies were so formative and, and imprinted upon us in our lives, but because we know that so much of it has so much that's wrong. Right. We want, I, we want to get that, rid of that, it. That's, yeah. You, you, I think there's the, that part of you that wants to uh, dig a hole and put all these movies in it. 100%. And say, hey, you're not as important as you think you were in 1982. Or like, I, 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 I see you now and I know you and I don't have to be informed by you anymore. Like, like I'm putting you to, right. I'm putting you right. to rest. Um, and so when I right. like, so take that. But, but so when confronted with with a 1982 movie that 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 should be uh, horrible, that should be right, horrifying. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, God damn it, it's still good. Right. <laughs> and it's not. How dare you not be as terrible for me to ingest as I thought you would be. Right. Um, yeah. And and so I get mad. I get mad at the movie. <laughs> For holding up, for entertaining me, for making me laugh, for doing all the things that a movie is supposed to do, while also, you know, being sort of deeply problematic and deeply offensive and and um, right. uh, refusing to go away. Yeah. You know, refusing to go away. All right, Matt, let's talk salt on all three of these movies. Uh, you know, no salt, pinch of salt, or cup of salt. Where do you stand? As if I didn't know on Porky's. Porky's is a cup of salt. Porky's is a cup. Yeah, it's I, a cup of strychnine, is what it is. Yeah, I have to agree. There's having said that, there's still there's still a lot in Porky's that makes me laugh, and there's still a lot in Porky's that I like, but there's too much bullshit. For me to say anything other than cup of salt. Yeah, I, I don't even, like I was saying before, like I feel so, I feel so guilty for having enjoyed this movie as a child. Mm-hmm. I feel like, so watching it now, I just feel like I need like a Silkwood shower at the end. But, <laughs> but I'm happy that we're two men that grow beyond porkies to see it for what it fucking is i think so i think so and 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 i and i want to i want to stay in the naive place of like really there are prostitutes there are there are brothels like i want to stay there i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to accept that as the premise of the joke all right so what i imagine will be the toughest decision where do you stand on the best little whorehouse in texas i try not to decide um, on these things before we talk. So this is, you're getting um, my real time uh, response. You want here. mine first then? Yeah. Give me, yeah, give me. Do yours. you need a moment? Uh, maybe. I'm a pinch of salt. What's the, what's the pinch about? The pinch is just generally about the idea that you talked about, about fathers taking their sons to see a prostitute. Right. All of that just does not sit well with me. I don't like it. Uh, I don't like this idea about men have to have sex or they'll go insane and get violent. 
That to me is just pure insanity. But there's so much in this movie that I do like in terms of the three stars and a lot of the songs. All the songs that, like you talked about, are, are essentially from the stage show. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I like the movie. The movie, I enjoy the movie. Anytime Dom DeLuise is on screen, I'm laughing. And then there are moments of, uh, even if they're ugly, there are moments of true, raw emotion between the female and the male leads that, at the very least, acting-wise, come off emotionally honest, and I appreciate that. So I... To me, it's a it's a pinch of salt. I, I mean, I think you've convinced me. I think I got to go pinch as well. And and I agree with you that there's an, enough enough there in the execution of it and the acting of mm-hmm. it. But I can't help but feel like the whole thing is so outdated. It feels dated in the same way that Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise feel dated. Like, the, like I have, like, they are oh, so, wow, that's interesting. I don't feel You're like, right. yeah. I, like they are so tied to the cannibal runs and, and stroke race and that whole era of like Burt Reynolds in a Trans Am, uh, yeah. that so much so that I was surprised during the credits when they didn't run a gag reel of the fun that right. Dom DeLuise and Burt Reynolds had in between takes. And I don't think we knew it at the time, but, but we're, we're coming to the end of Burt Reynolds kind of stranglehold on his power in Hollywood. Soon he's going to be sitting on a couch and be doing win, lose, or draw. He's going to be, do, he's going to be doing uh, Sharky's, Sharky's machine. And pretty yeah. soon. Yeah. And, and yeah. bad, bad action movies. Right. right. Um, okay. All right. So let me ask you, I think I know the answer. Let me ask you night shift. It's no salt for me, even though it revolves around prostitution <laughs> and these guys making this terrible choice. It's all in the name of agency for the women, which I really, really like. So, and the movie's, like you said, the movie's sweet. It's surprisingly sweet. The movie's got a good heart. And so for me, it's no salt. Uh, I still have to do a grain of salt um, because, like, there's a part of me that just, I can't let this movie off without a pass. I have to punish it in some way. How dare you be good? It's totally irrational. I, com- I completely yeah. agree with you um, that it is. This is we're. we're this, I'm not behaving rationally, but I got to give it a grain of salt. Even though everything you said is true, it's sweet, it's funny, it's it, it's it's yeah. Its heart is in the right place, and it's uh, strangely enough. Um, <laughs> that's great. You could talk about it in therapy. I, that's essentially the, the, this is right. the disconnect. It's just like yes, yeah. it's lovely. Let's kill it. all right that's great let's end it there the 1982 project is a production of the everything's equal podcast and was produced by mike chance and matt aldrich original music by amit aldrich and murphy aldrich follow us on facebook instagram and twitter this is chuck reminding bill to shut up (laughs) 